Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, for us, the basketball season ended this week. Lots to talk about in terms of how that went, uh, the good, the bad of the season, expectations. They should have won that game. They okay. uh, by, by, by my count, they should have won three of the games they lost. They should have. Right. They should have. Uh-huh. Um, I think it exposed some of the, the weaknesses within the team construct, mm, though. And what could those be? Well, let's let's get into it in a second. We've yeah. also we'll talk a little Phillies. They've been playing good baseball again. I know that excites you a lot. You you did the double header with your son on your birthday, I right? I did. We went down we went down to the Sixers. We went to the last home game. That was exciting. And then we were about to leave, and when the Phillies game was going on, the lights were on. It was across the street, so we walked over, grabbed a couple tickets, and and saw half of the runs, which I, was a lot. I enjoyed you tweeting at people, inviting you to bring you ice cream. <laughs> that, that was that was entertaining for me. I also no, enjoyed no, how I you actually, added out. I the, actually I actually tweeted at Murph I, I, to come <laughs> to come over, but he was a little busy with uh, somebody way more important. I also enjoyed how you ratted out the kids that were there having a good time, saying that they were no no pay no. No, 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 no. You, see, you misunderstood that tweet. It was not the kids. It was the teachers. Oh, so it wasn't going to so, be a productive day. So I, I won't go on into the, which elementary school in Philadelphia it was again, but you can always look at the Twitter account and find it. But there was a whole section of elementary school teachers on a school night having in my opinion, way too much fun. Look at you. You have and, a birthday, and all of a sudden you're a party pooper. And, and the only thing that I could think was, I wish I could go to that school the next morning and just see the teacher's reactions when the bell rings because there were going to be a lot of hangovers. You were just looking to measure the productivity at work that day. I understand. Those kids could get away with murder Those that poor teachers. Day. Jeff was out there <laughs> tweeting, saying that they, they weren't going to be getting it done the next day. The, 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 <laughs> On Teacher Appreciation but, Week, no less, by Yeah, the way. well, that's probably why they were there. But here, So here's the best part. So we're sitting on an aisle, and there is a woman standing in front of us who we believe to be either the principal or the vice principal, who was blocking our view for about a whole half inning before my patience ran out and then I said could you please move or sit down because I would like to see them actually pitch and Sir Anthony Dominguez was coming in for his major league debut and I was looking forward to seeing that that was one of the reasons we decided to go over was that possibility at which point she turned around and very happily said that the reason that she was standing was she's trying to get all the other teachers to sit down. Every single other teacher was sitting down. So, Jeff, Jeff I know it was your birthday. I know that you don't it like. Apparently, when I do it was the, her birthday. I, don't, I know you don't like it when I do the "Hey, you kids, get yeah. off my lawn." But seriously, you're you know poor teachers. All they wanted to do was enjoy the game, and you ratted them out. It's really, you know, you got to do better. <laughs> so, so uh, I, I'm hoping that none of them was the designated driver. Okay. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. So we'll go yeah. back to um, the Sixers. In the second half of the show, we'll, we'll get into our uh, high hopes, my, Phillies minor league rundown, have a couple interviews that we, we've done mm -hmm. uh, at Lakewood again, and then talk about what we have next. But let's get to the Sixers, okay? Mm -hmm. What is your feeling now that you've had a little time to digest what happened in this series against Boston? First and foremost, it was a successful season. And that no, no matter what griping goes on after this moment, the fact is this was a very successful season. 
way more successful than anybody who's honest would ever say. I think it's a huge butt coming. No, no, because because if you think about it, I remember having multiple discussions before the season and then even when the season started about how many games Embiid was going to play, which we all thought maybe 40, 50 was going to be on the upside, that he was going to be limited to 24 minutes and then hopefully 30 minutes, and you would hope that none of there would be no regression. Embiid greatly exceeded expectations in his health. And he was banged up at the end of the season. A lot of people are. But, you know, you saw at the end of the last game, he, he they were talking about he had a shoulder injury. There was a point at which he was holding his ankle, but he seemed okay after that. You know, year, year-end regular bumps and bruises. Same thing with Simmons. Simmons sat out all of last year and then came back this year and was healthy and played more minutes than 95% of the NBA players. So those are major positives. All right, we're going to get back to the season as a whole yeah. in a minute. Let's do the series first, though. Roko. Because there, I could sum, I could sum it up. I could sum it up in one nickname, Roko. He he was horrible, and he was. I, I was texting you a little bit much about that. Wasn't I? I couldn't respond. <laughs> I, I I was so annoyed because. Brett Brown is, in my opinion, a very good coach. He appears to be very stubborn, though. In his and and look, he knows much more than we do. So, anytime I ever question a coach, I have to keep reminding myself I don't know as much as they do. So you don't know what's you don't know who's injured, what the story is. But what I did see was was a guy out there who lacked confidence, looked confused, made bad passes, could not hit the broadside of of the Atlantic Ocean at all. I mean, there was a stat after the game that he had less three-pointers than Aaron Baines. You saw it. Yeah. I saw that. Aaron stat. Baines. The, the Hoover who doesn't know that's the center for Boston. <laughs> it's bad when your your three-point shooter uh, is outshot by the right. center for and, the other and, team. Isn't and it? as good a defender as he is, he, you know, he's long, he, the whole bit. He's athletic, he's smart. But he he was making major lapses in the way that he was handling defense, including Game Three when they lost. A lot of and look, a lot of the players had lapses in this series. Uh, their yep. their inexperience shown through at times. Everybody sort of had a different level of. But Covington's not the inexperienced one. No, he's and, playoff inexperienced. And it drove me insane. There was a a, a series. I don't remember if it was the third quarter of game five or, or something where he basically like had two turnovers back to back and then fouled on the def- had a bad defensive rotation that led well, to well it. and he did that in the last <laughs> game in this series too is he, he he made a turnover and then he committed a foul he got frustrated it, and and it compounds your bad you know mistake like, right and at some point at some point I have to ask myself what did they get Justin Anderson for because every time Justin Anderson came in. He, he provided a toughness that filtered through the team. The minute he came in in Game 5, he got a turnover he, from Who? from Boston, Justin Anderson. Oh, yeah. By the way, he played forced so the, little. That, by the way, he played so little, if you look in the box score, it still says zero minutes. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> And it was a minus three because they hit a three-pointer at the end of the, sec, uh, the first half. But, okay, he committed a turnover. Robert Co- Covington commits lots of turnover, and I would argue that every time he missed the ball, including air balls, that's a turnover in my mind. Despite so, that all, mm-hmm. in many games in this series, 
the Sixers had a chance. They were up 22 in Boston in game two. But that's a more, all the you more reason he at, shouldn't have been in there. You were at game three mm-hmm. where they literally threw the ball away in regulation <laughs> leading to a lead up. I was at a bar that lost their ever-loving mind uh-huh. when that happened. And then Bellinelli hits the shot that they shoot off the confetti where it's only a two-pointer, not a three-pointer. By the way, And then they lose it in overtime off another bad play on yeah. a defensive rotation. By the way, can he, we talk about the confetti guy for a second? We'll get back to him in a second <laughs> because he was awesome with his shirt, uh-huh. and we will get back to him. But then in yeah. game five, you're up. There were 21 lead changes in that game. It was a back-and-forth, really good game. The most lead changes in any postseason game. That's the way basketball should be. The most Mm -hmm. in any postseason game that they've had so far this year. But the Sixers were up four with a minute 37 left. It's not like they were coming back. They blew that game. They had a four-point lead. Mm -hmm. In the final minute of the game, Redick misses a wide-open three. TJ misses a, a shot from three feet, and look, you can't criticize TJ. He played way above his head in this series. We'll get to him in a second. Sarge loses. By the way, the, was that a short choke you just made? No, we'll get to him. <laughs> Stay away from the height for all of us short people. Sarge loses the ball, backing down a guy in the paint. And Bede misses a layup under the basket. And and then, I, I don't understand. Why were we going with the, the deep Hail Mary pass to Covington in the corner guarded by four people with 2.4 seconds left. Because uh, he's been clutch like, all series? That, <laughs> so <laughs> the end of the game sequence was frustrating in game five. Having said that, <laughs> Boston you, you, made you also a, forgot that right before the, that sequence, Ben Simmons coming down the court twice and literally whipping the ball <laughs> at the backboard. It was not a shot. It was just this wild, out-of-control steamroller, and instead of laying it up when he got close, he just kind of threw it at the backboard. Which gets you to the, the Simmons issue. Um, Brett Simmons, Ben Simmons is a very talented, very good player, but mm-hmm. the Celtics made a clear choice that they were not going to let the Sixers shooters beat them. And right. Ben Simmons, they decided, is not a shooter. So therefore, See, they, I disagree with that, but go ahead. Y- you don't think so. You don't think that they packed it in and, and backed off. And they basically dared Simmons to shoot. Like his no, a- no, no. I saw a stat uh-huh. where his average shot was within five feet of the rim. Well, that's because he gets lots of dunks and layups. But he didn't take a shot outside the paint. Yeah, he did. Well, well, he t- he took a shot outside the key. Out- yeah, he did. He did take a couple shots. There were, there were a couple. If they weren't outside, they were at the top. It, because he he can't uh, for anybody who has not been to a practice, I can tell you as somebody who's been to practices, Ben Simmons has the form and the ability to hit a a, a lay. I but mean, he, re- a, a he shot. refuses to do it in the game, and now, the Celtics realize he, that. Here, well, here's and this is why I I, I fully trust that he's going to develop this for two reasons. One. Ben said said that what he is used to, he, he has always been taller and more athletic and more gifted than almost anybody he's played against. So he's never had to shoot the ball, okay? He could just dominate. And what happens is if you watch him, especially earlier in the season, he would lean in on his shots because he's so big he could just overpower them. Now he's he has, falling back. Well, that, he needs to just learn to elevate straight up and trust his shot because – I can tell you he can hit it. Second, 
If you remember at the beginning of the season, what could Ben Simmons not do more than anything else? Shoot free throws. And right. he shot free throws very well exactly. in the series. It literally got to, went from the point that it they, they did hack a Ben at the beginning of the season. You wondered if he would ever be able to be in the game at the end of the game to, by playoff time, he was one of their better free throw shooters. No doubt. He absolutely— So, so I have no doubt that Ben Simmons will be able to work his way into having a, at least an average jumper. In this series, the way the Celtics played them, when T.J. McConnell wasn't on the court, Ben running point, the offense was stagnant. They they would man up and, and not give – they would run off those screens and run around them and not give the open shots. So you've got Redick or Bellinelli taking a, a fall-away shot. Occasionally you get the open Sarge shot. But Ben not being comfortable or confident with his shot or willing to shoot at times when he was wide open – caused a problem for the Sixers in the, in the half court. See, I don't think that was the biggest problem. So what do you, you I think, think Embiid, uh, No, no. I think Embiid was the biggest problem. Tell me why. Because ben, Embiid does not play in the block. For whatever reason, he is more than 70% of the time standing out beyond three-pointer. And that frustrated me because Baines and Horford and their third big man all had four fouls in the third quarter. Yeah. They, they, and they never went down on the block to pick up those additional fouls and foul them out. He, he, what I don't understand Look, he's an incredibly gifted big man, okay? So we all know that. He can shoot the three-pointer. But here's the problem. You can't play an inside-out game if there's nobody inside. So it, the Celtics figured out, because their coach is brilliant, by the way, and because they have the players, is that you need to take away the three-pointers, right? So what do you do if they come out to guard the three-point shooters? You throw it inside, and Embiid is going to win a one-on-one matchup every single time. If he's down there. But he's not down there. And and his idea of being in the post is he gets the ball outside and then dribble, 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 and half the time it's turnover, and half the time it's an amazing shot. He needs to trust being down there, and somehow they have got to convince him he's not a 7-2 point guard because, because that's what he thinks. And it's very frustrating because he can be the most dominant or the second most dominant big man in the game. On the plus side, he's the first Sixers player with four 20-point, 10-rebound games in the playoffs since Charles Barkley in 91. And he should, in my mind, he should have 35, 40 points a game. On the flip side. That's how good he is. On the flip side, he was 0 for 8 on game time or go-ahead shots in the final minute this season and 0 for 2 in game 5. Because he's not underneath. He's on the outside. And so that's the the conundrum with a player like that. Like you have the guy who has the body to to do that. And he's he's got a move set where he can dominate, but he just Mm -hmm. gets enamored with the fun point, the funness of, you know, dribbling or shooting the three and – yeah, it may be fun to see a 7-2 guy drain a three, but when you're talking weapons, I don't want him to be my prime shooting option out of a timeout. Like, you can't screen for your 7-2 big man out of the timeout. The, the problem is, it's a weird thing to say, but the problem with the Sixers is they have incredibly talented, versatile big guys, and because they're so talented and versatile, they, they don't know their roles. And, and that's what's important is the Sixers right now don't know their roles. The guy who seems to know his role the best is Dario Saric. And for an, anybody who keeps poo-pooing him and saying that we should trade him for this person and that person, if, if you watch, 
this is the guy with the grit. This is the guy who get, he doesn't get calls, by the way, but he will go in there and put his head down. And there are not a lot of guys on this team that will do that consistency. Simmons will do it sometimes, and then, like in his one-point game, he will just fade away. Can we talk Markel Fultz and Jason Tatum? Because they're Ooh. they're going to be linked Who's, for a long time. We, I don't know if you can link a guy who didn't play. Well, that's the problem. Uh-huh. Uh, Tatum had seven straight 20-plus point games while Fultz had a DNP. Uh, that just is glaring. Could you say that pretty much for every game in this series? No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He's had seven <laughs> straight games of right. doing it. And and Tatum was a clear difference maker. Now, you can argue whether or not the Sixers were going to take Tatum or not. Mm-hmm. But giving up the draft pick with Tatum compared to Fultz in years to come, Fultz is going to have to come a really long way to make that trade look good for Brian Colangelo. Yeah. I mean, I, that's I mean, going to... I mean, they, they, and, and we'll see what that draft pick turns out to be too i mean danny ainge took a lot of guff up in boston and around the country for making that trade and looking like he got taken advantage of and and danny ainge look i don't i don't particularly like danny ainge i didn't like him when he played i thought he was kind of a dirty player and he was played for the celtics and the whole bit the guy the guy's been brilliant from from getting a coach in brad stevens from butler when taking college coaches is not always working out to all of the moves that he's made i mean think about it his biggest moves gordon hayward who is an all-star and kyrie irving who's an all-star were sitting in suits during this and they look like the best or the second best team in the nba right now without them it's going to be sixers and celtics for years to come battling this which will be fun i mean that's what we i mean i grew up on that I grew up on on those battles, and it can be back for. And by the but Colangelo's got to make the right moves. By the not. time I got into it, that rivalry was sort of waning. Not like the Celtics were still really good, but it was more Celtics Lakers. The Sixers were kind of on the downfall right. a little bit at that point. So it'll be fun to to have that. But you mentioned Colangelo, so let's talk about what. Hey, needs by the to way, be- before we get there, that old that old Celtics team. Could somebody please say that Mikhail was awful and was i'm not usually blaming as a the commentator oh, he was terrible and it wasn't that he was a homer he was just not good it was almost like he wasn't there i i listened uh, look i mean we're at beasley station i listened uh. to tom mcginnis on 97.5 <laughs> so i can't speak to that i couldn't take the the do you think Turner that, broadcast. you know i really want to ask tom this does is does he talk the other 21 hours between games because <laughs> how does he have a voice i don't know i can barely do an hour on the radio and have a voice i don't know how he, and he does just that. Do, he, he does such an incredible job of explaining the game and he does it all by himself yeah i mean i was disappointed when it moved to this series after the heat and you know we didn't have the local broadcast anymore yeah. I, I enjoy that that call of the game but i hope with with the number of stations we now have that they can do things similar to what they did with with the Super Bowl. Yeah, the home know? broadcast, the exactly. away broadcast, the national. Wouldn't broadcast. it? Wouldn't it have been better to, to have Zoom off and Abdul and Allah just? It, it just would have been a much better game to watch for us. Yes, very much. So let's do a quick breakdown of the off season, and then let's go to the Phillies before we hit a break. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Robert Covington listed here. Mm-hmm. Do you really think they can move Robert Covington with that? No, no, contract? I'm not. I'm not even suggesting they move him. I, I've always thought that what are you Covington. Do, teach him to shoot. 
Well, he can shoot. I know. I mean, the reason you they wouldn't gave, know it from the, the series. The but. reason they gave him sixty million dollars is because at the beginning of the season he couldn't miss, and I think that Covington can be the kind of guy like the Pistons had in, in the. Oh yeah, I'm, I know I'm dating myself. He let's just say he could be instant offense off the bench. I think he's a guy. I know you were going to say though, Vinny Microwave Johnson. <laughs> I know, but but so you're not but, dating yourself that I don't much know. See, because I remember. See, that. I was ready to say the whole name, and you just kind of gave me this I, look, and I'm like, you know what? I remember those bad boy teams, okay. and he came off of the bench, and he was instant offense. Right, and I think Covington can be that, but he can't be your starter. No, he, no. he's got to be like a defensive lockdown guy with his long arms and he's got to be a shooter off the bench because then that strengthens your whole rotation in your bench if you got somebody else in the lineup the the, weak, the weakest link on this team is small forward there's no question that that's the weakest link the fact that you could bring in tj mcconnell and give up that kind of height and change the whole dynamic of your team and play that much better is an indictment of the way that Covington was playing. And that's why, even though Anderson is three inches or four inches shorter than Covington, I would have liked to see Anderson playing more small forward in this series. Now, maybe they think uh, Cork Bonds next year might be the guy. Furcon. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, Timmy might be the guy. Timmy. Uh, but, you know, somebody's got to be the guy. Maybe the, uh, Jonah Bolton's kind of short. So I, I don't, I don't, I think he's more of a point guard. But so. You've got here notes about re-sign JJ Redick, Marco, and Ilyasova. What would he? What would you do if you're the general manager with those three players? I would definitely resign JJ. <clears throat> I, I don't. I don't see how you cannot. He's a. He's the veteran leadership who I think was the glue to keep this team together. I think he taught this taught this group of guys how to play, how to compose themselves, how to deal with the media. I. I think that he was. He was what the Sixers envisioned for Elton Brand a few years ago. And, and I think that he has taken that torch and carried it very well. The question is how much money. I mean, they paid him $25 million for one year. So I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't want to sign J.J. Redick to a four- or five-year deal. So it'll depend on that. Ilyasova. I really like him. I mean, I know he's everywhere else. He's a great else, bench player. I know. Everywhere else he's gone, he seems not to fit. But he here, fits here, he fits. He and fits I don't here. know if it's Brett Brown. Or if the other players, but I want Ilyasova because I think he he's uh, he a, as we hear often he's the guy that turns garbage into gold. Marco and, and Bellinelli. Look, Marco's kind of a folk hero here now, but as long as they get another shooter, then that's fine. If they don't get another shooter, then they need Marco. So let's talk about the trade rumors. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk out there that Philly is going to be. A destination place you hear names like LeBron you hear Kawhi Leonard you hear Paul George in your perfect GM fantasy world because I know you hate fantasy so I mm-hmm. just want to make sure you get involved in that <laughs> so who, who, in my reality who world who would you offset Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid with as a compliment player for that third big piece in in my world yes. I would want Kawhi Leonard but I want Kawhi Leonard that there was a couple years ago. I have, just based on what I've read, I don't know anything, but there were lots of stories out there about what kind of teammate he was this year and whether he was actually injured or whether there was something at play this year. If those stories are nothing more than, you know, not true, then then I want Kawhi Leonard. I think he fits into Covington's spot much better than Covington does. 
uh, and you're not, certainly not giving up defense because he's, he's a stud on defense as well as offense. Second, I would want LeBron James if Le- LeBron James did not have to have the ball in his hand that much. I think if he comes here, he's going to know that. And I don't think they have to sign him to a long-term deal because LeBron usually just wants one-year deals so he can decide if he wants to leave the next year. So, But I don't want Paul George. I really don't. What else uh, would you do as GM for your last thought on the Sixers? Backup week? center. You really need a backup center. If, 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 he, if you're not going to use Rashawn Holmes... Which it doesn't seem like they're going to. Then who's the backup center on this team? Ilyasova is better suited as a backup power forward. Saric is the power forward. So the guy that you need is you need a – it's amazing because, remember, we started preseason with we have too many centers, and we ended the season with we have one center. Can you imagine what a disaster the season would have been if, if Embiid had gotten hurt? Oh, God. Well, yeah. it just would have been a disaster for lots of reasons. Well, yeah, but, but they, they would Holmes would have been the center. And they don't. They and for some re- some reason, Brett Brown doesn't use them except when it's garbage time. Let's do a little Phillies talk uh, before we get to our minor league report and look down the farm system. Uh, you went over to the game last night, uh, the other night, uh, mm-hmm. and you saw Sir Anthony Dominguez oh, he, pitch in the majors. You know his when when you the faster you throw, the less movement you usually get on a pitch. Sir Anthony Dominguez came in the game throwing 96, consistently 97, 98 miles per hour with movement. So much movement that on the scoreboard they kept misidentifying his fastball as a cutter. That's what you want. I mean, he, he dominated. He was a starting pitcher when he was in low ball. And, and this year they convert him to a reliever. And I'm telling you, I don't know about his mental makeup yet, but he's going to be the closer and then I don't know what I'm going to do with Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're not going not gonna to know who to complain yeah, but, about. Yeah, but we, we got good problems here at, at Pitcher. Let's I think talk it, about that. Aaron Nola has been lights out. He can do what – there was an article the other day about how he, he can just pitch any way he wants right now. He's got supreme confidence. And since I think since June of last year, there have only been four pitchers that have had a better ERA than him. I mean, he had twelve strikeouts the other night in six innings. In six innings, yeah, it was it was I definitely mean, his most. And, and that w- and think about it when when they got Nola, he was a he was a college pitcher, he was supposed to be a control pitcher, he was supposed to kind of hit ninety, and he has developed velocity. He can hit ninety four, ninety five at times when he needs to. Um, he's he's solid. He's got. Uh, Probably one of the top three secondary pitchers in the ma- pitches in the major league right now with his changeup, which people just buckle on, uh, and he can go late in games. He's economical with his pitches. He is. We Aaron Nola is now a solid ace for this team. Let's talk about some of the position players. J.P. Crawford still only hitting off a tee, but you mentioned to me that Scott Carey is playing less at shortstop, mm-hmm. and I wanted to talk about that with you. Shortstop second because. You also want to look at the Freddie Galvis trade a little bit. And so I'm going to give you the chance because you, you believe that the Phillies gave up on Freddie Galvis too soon, I think. I've, I've Make wa- your case. I've watched J.P. Crawford from literally the day he got here. I actually was down in Clearwater when he first got down there for extended spring training. Um, he is a gifted fielder, but I don't think that anybody can be more gifted in this day and age than Freddie Galvis was. He should have won the gold glove last year. 
So you were only going to replace great defense with great defense. He's not going to be better than Freddie at, at defense. And Freddie's not old. Keep that in mind. Second, Crawford has not shown that he is a real power hitter. Freddie was good for 10 to 15 home runs a year. And most importantly, Freddie was a consistent 250. Crawford has not shown, although he is patient at the plate, he has not shown at the upper levels the ability to hit higher than 250. So I think they gave up on Freddie too soon. Now, there are other guys in their minor league system that they have, but Crawford was supposed to be the, the jewel. Yeah. Um, I just You're I, losing hope. No. Well, I just... If if I had my choice, I could I they could have gotten a lot for JP Crawford. They they supposedly didn't get a lot for Freddie. Now it's turning out that maybe they did get a diamond in the rough. So talk about that. So they got a guy named Enel De Los Santos, who was kind of wild. I just wanted to make you say the name because I can't. I got it right. There you go. Yeah. Um and he has been nothing short of amazing in his five or six starts. Triple A this year to the point that he is pushing, not not him, but his performances are pushing the Phillies to make decisions on what to do with him. Now he has not been in Triple A that long, so you can have him develop and develop down there. But if he continues for another four or five starts to do this, then you're going to have to decide what do you do. In Especially the end, who would Vinny. you want? Would you want Freddie or the prospect? Freddie. Because okay. I, I value, you know, you see, you see that commercial where they say, you know, when have you turned into your dad? And it's when they say defense wins championships. Yeah, that guy now. They're, they're talking about football, but it applies to baseball to some you're, extent. You're, you're for the sure thing now versus the No, no, I, I'm sure. I'm, I think the Phillies are close enough that I would, I would want to solidify my defense. I wouldn't have made, I've made it clear, I wouldn't have made the move for Carlos Santana either because I think that Hoskins at first and putting Nick Williams out there and Oduble in the outfield makes your defense so good. They cover so much territory that Hoskins, who's turned into a good left fielder. Yeah, but a he, nice catch the other day. I yeah, know. but he can't cover the kind of ground that Williams and Althaire and Roman Quinn can cover. And I would rather we're going to get to when we come back from break. Yes. So we we will get to Roman Quinn and everything else. What else has stood out uh, another minute before we hit the break? What what else has stood out to you from the Phillies start so far this season? I mean, it took them. They're floating around first place. It it took them last season. They were they didn't hit the 20 win mark till June 5th. They were 20 and 35 in last place and 15 and a half games out. Now they're floating around first place and have already won 20 games. Yeah, and people need to get out there and see this team because is it that people are paying to the paying attention to the Sixers and just have the don't have the bandwidth yet? Well, unfortunately, we're about to find out, aren't we? Yeah, because I mean the team is definitely playing better and the the and attendance fun. hasn't reflected. And they're fun. That you know you don't want a boring team. They are fun. They're all young. They're exciting. They have personalities. I mean, I don't know what more you could ask than that. And they're floating around first place. Well, we're going to keep watching the Phillies all summer. For now, we're going to head to break. When we come back, we're going to bring you our High Hopes Phillies minor league rundown segment. Stick with us. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? 
All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.NewJerseyShares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Attention sports fans. The Heart of Sports is excited to be the media partner with the newly formed Athletic Business Alliance for their kickoff event being held on May 8th at Ron Jaworski's Ramblewood Country Club in Mount Laurel. Players from across all sports have been invited to connect with the Alliance's player-to-player network. If you'd like to get involved, sponsorship opportunities include program advertising and tickets. Visit abagamechangers.net or call 856 856- Six seven three one nine one one. Welcome back to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. All right, Jeff. What? It's time for a little minor league rundown. And you didn't even talk over it this week. You know, when I hear that, I, I just keep thinking, man, wouldn't it be nice to be one of those guys that they're cheering? You get excited, right? I do, yeah. Uh, you like the, the atmosphere there, and uh, we're going to be going out to Lehigh Valley this weekend, seeing the Iron Pigs a little bit and talking to some players out there. But let's recap what we saw this week in the Phillies farm system. Well, let's start. Why don't we start with Allentown? Go ahead. So since we'll go top to bottom this time. All right. So, so this week, we, hit, we might end, we can go with the first place team. So the Iron Pigs have made their way to first place. The problem for the Iron Pigs, though, is they're doing so well that their best players are now disappearing because they're making their way up like to Sir the Anthony big club. Dominguez, yeah, who made made a quick ascent from double to triple to. Yeah, well, I don't really count him because he only did four appearances there. He was at Double A for eight appearances, then he went to Triple A for four appearances, and now he's in the majors. So I don't think he impacted them one way or the other. Of course, it would be nice to have got him. Zach Eflin. Zach Eflin was doing well at AAA, and he has now come up, and he's being the Zach Eflin people thought he could be. Whether he holds on to that is another story, but Zach Eflin, he had the surgeries, so his knees appear to be healthy now. He said that he's put on weight um, and muscle, which, which should help him through the season. He's got a 95, 96-mile-per-hour fastball, and he's got command of his off-speed pitches. And he has done incredible in his first two starts. And and so now Lively goes down. I mean, he was injured, but now he's at the point that he's going to rehab. And I think Eflin, if he continues, is going to find a place in this rotation for a while. It's a little stock up, stock down in Lehigh. Uh, you have the oldest player at 26 years old, the yeah. International Player of the Week. Yeah, Joey Manessis is not a, your traditional prospect. He wasn't somebody the Phillies um, signed out of out of college or drafted or you know any of that stuff. He's just a guy that they got off the waiver wire, kind of. Um, he though was International Player of the Week. Uh, batted 520 for the week, two home runs, eight RBIs. He's now batting for the season 349, 11 runs, 12 RBIs, two homers, and nine doubles with a 923 OPS. So, what's your thought on him? Is he a injury forces the call up? How yes. does he make his yeah. way? Uh, so, so that AAA is is a two prong thing. It's the guys coming up, the prospects, their last stop before the majors, and then it's the guys that kind of stay around who are in case somebody gets injured. 
And I think that Joey is going to be one of those guys. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he turns out to be better than that. But there's these guys that kind of, they call it, they almost, they call it quadruple A that are kind of go back and forth. Stuck in between. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned De Los Santos in the last segment, pitching lights out. Se- last, last start, seven innings pitched, one hit, no runs, six Ks. He's now 4-0 with a .84 ERA in six games. He's pitched 32 innings, 13 walks, 39 strikeouts, and a 1.14 whip. When, how long do you think we see him up with the big league team? Well, think about it. We, right now we have Arietta, Nola, Eflin, um, Vinny, and who am I forgetting? Oh, and Pavetta. So who's the problem is you now have a backlog because you're going to have Eichhoff at some point coming back, and Gabe Kapler has already said, he's when Eichhoff's back. ready, he's in. So Vinny or Pavetta are your only choices to move, right? Right now, it looks like it's going to be Vinny. And I think, Which upsets you terribly. <laughs> no, but I, th- I think the problem is you can't move him into the closer role now. I think that they may have found their the closer, closer problem and i hope hector's not (laughs) they're much longer let's go through the names uh that people know that are triple a roman quinn and dylan cousins those are the names that you know you've heard a lot the last couple years yep and he's he's already got three triples he's batting 289 11 rbi 785 ops he's not striking out a lot cousins has seven home runs but his strikeouts are concerning to you (laughs) don't laugh at that (laughs) (laughs) he he is a a specimen. He's a Stanton. He's a boomer bust he, guy. He is a Stanton-esque player. He he. His home runs are colossal. The problem his is strikeouts are colossal too. Yeah, and I know what, that we are now in the age that strikeouts are seem to be okay, but you cannot strike out forty six times in your first hundred and five at bats. You've got Tom Eshelman with a stock down. Last year's pitcher of the year, he struggled some. He is. I mean, Tom Eshelman was last year Phillies pitcher of the year in the entire their entire system. He is a finesse pitcher. He's not an overpowering pitcher. The finesse pitchers don't do well, particularly in the cold. So I give him a buy for the first couple starts, but he's off to a one and three start, seven point one one ERA. The problem is he's got a one point nine three WHIP. And as a guy who's not overpowering, I don't think they ever saw him as a top of the line pitcher. But I'm worried about whether or not he's going to find his way to be a bottom rotation pitcher and he certainly won't be this year unless unfortunately there's a lot of injuries let's move to Reading so that we can get to the interviews we have this week you can obviously hear the Reading fight and fills after us every Friday and all week long here on 610 ESPN uh, talk to me about what's going on with Reading hitting lots of hitting uh, they're they're fifth right now in the Eastern League it's not looking good for the beginning but keep in mind, they got Dominic Tomshay there. He's batting 333, six doubles, five home runs, 17 RBIs, and a whopping 968 OPS. They also have a guy named Jan Hernandez there who's batting 347, 12 runs, five doubles, a homer, and eight RBIs, and an 830 OPS. Pitching is, has not been their strong suit so far this year. But I think if they get the pitching together and they have the prospects there, I think that they could do okay. So let's uh, let's go to Clearwater, mm-hmm. um, and I'd love to go to Clearwater. I'm I'm cool with that. Let's go. That's where they also have their spring training. Uh, they're in fourth place right now in the Florida State League. Uh, your boy Sixto Sanchez is there. Rough start. He's one and two, four point seven one ERA, four games, twenty one innings pitched, and he only has sixteen strikeouts. But uh, 
everybody who has seen Sixto says, "Don't worry about Sixto." Yeah, no. So I'm not, legit. I'm not too worried about that. But you can't forget Derek Hall. Derek Hall is a first baseman who last year set the Lakewood record for home runs, which I think Ryan Howard was up there on before. So not too shabby. Batting 296, 25 runs, six doubles, ten homers, 25 RBIs, and a 976 OPS. Watch this guy because I have a feeling he's going to be up in Reading by midseason. What's going on with JoJo Romero? He got stocked down there. He was one of those arms. He was he's part of the six stow crew, and uh, he is 0-4, 6.680RA, 1.6 whip. Um, and that was after last year. Last year he was at Lakewood and Clearwater, and he had a great 10-3 and record, 2.16ERA, 1.09 whip. Um, so I'm hoping he gets it together, but he's at a very rough start. Uh, let's move to Lakewood because we were out at Lakewood. Uh, we're going to have an Our interview boy. shortly. Yeah. Will Stewart, who, uh, who you're, pe- getting, you're getting his jersey, right? W- Will Stewart is the guy to watch. Will Stewart is the, the young who guy. Who spoke to on, and had the interview on last and, week's show. And, you know, you know I, from listening to that interview again, uh, you know, I was – the enthusiasm at which he was saying, you know, you get your three meals a day and he's playing in this giant stadium. It's about 7,000. I can't imagine how excited this guy will get when he gets to the majors. But once again, Will went eight innings, six hits, no runs, six strikeouts on 82 pitches. I knew that was going to excite you when I saw those stats. That, he that line he is through. 4-0 with a 1.46 ERA in six games. 31, uh, 37 innings pitched, 31 Ks, and only five walks, and his whip is under one. Give me the stock down right now in Lakewood. One of their top prospects is a second baseman named Daniel Brito. Um, Brito, right, he's a younger player, so give him time. But he is a top infield prospect, but he's struggling with a 194 throughout about 100 bats. So um, it's still early in the season. Give him time to fix it. they got a good hitting coach down there. But uh, right now he's our stock down guy. Why don't you introduce the interview that we're going to play? We were out at Lakewood, and, and we got to talk to the team's coach. You know, these coaches have a very tough job, and, and, and because they have to balance whether or not winning is most important or developing these players most important. And we addressed that with Marty Malloy, who is the manager for the Lakewood Blue Claws, and I, I thought that he had a, a fascinating take on that and much more, but let's, let's just listen up. All right, so we're here with Marty Malloy, manager of the Lakewood Blue Claws. Marty, thanks for joining us. No problem. You're very welcome. So, uh, Marty, <clears throat> you made it to the majors playing 11 games for the Braves in 98, right? How long did you play in the minor leagues? Um, 12 years, from 92 through uh, 2003. Um, parts of two years in the major leagues, but uh, 12 total, uh, mostly in the minor leagues, and uh, a lot of good, a lot of good memories, a lot of good. Uh, uh, stops along the way, um, no regrets, and, and d- just a uh, great time in my life. So you were the subject of a book, the heart of the game, following your efforts to make the majors while on the Durham Bulls. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And and how did that come about? Um, it came about in uh, 1993, actually, in this same league, in the South Atlantic League, when uh, when I was a player in Macon, um, and it happened to be a uh, writer uh, that was. Uh, uh, from Macon, Georgia, or right there in the area, and uh, you know he uh, 
as a player um, in his in his day and era, he was a second baseman. I just so happened to be playing second base, and uh, that's where the story started, and the rest is history. <laughs> Did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy having somebody following? No, you it was around? good. It was good because uh, you know th th there's a lot of things that go on um, in these trenches, what we call it, uh, down at the lower levels in the minor leagues um, that that a lot of people don't don't know about, um, and and probably a lot that still don't know about it. But uh, but but it was neat to, to have it done and and just to uh, be a part of it. What was the most interesting thing that you recall being put being put in the book? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know the most interesting part. I guess uh, being the so-called chosen one for that particular time, um, especially when it's unexpected, um, not knowing how the book's going to be and who's going to read it and who wants to read it. But it, it was neat to do. What What did your teammates think of a, of a reporter following you around? Well, they enjoyed it. I mean, you know, anytime you see new faces, especially the way these road trips are and the way we travel, um, it's always it's always nice to see a fresh face well one of the things that, that we're trying to to show through our through this this new show is is the struggle of getting to the major leagues you know most people don't realize that every single one of the the, the kids that are down here especially at Lakewood <coughs> was was probably the best kid in their town yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. I would think uh, most of the guys that are in here were the best in in their town or where they grew up. And then, you know, all of a sudden you get you, you, you're the uh, little fish in the big pond, so to speak. And, you know, every team has good players. Uh, the competition gets better as you go. I mean, it's, it's, it's all a process. It's uh, it's not always a quick one for for some of the players, some quicker than others. Um, but but uh, learning along the way, um, wherever your stops may be, short season rookie ball to uh, which most most of these guys here um, today are first season full or first time full season guys, and there's just a lot to learn. We're the northernmost team, so our travel is very, very tough. Um, but that's all part of the process as well. The fact of playing a 140 game season versus playing uh, 30 in an extended spring, or if you sign late and you play 20 or 30 games, and then all of a sudden you uh, you have to uh, go through this grind with the travel, the uh, night games, the day games. Uh, bus rides, 14 hours um, um, is our longest one when we go to Rome. Um, it just, it's just a big process that they have to go through that they've never, uh, uh, you know, done before. Um, and, and, and it's a challenge. And, and you know, they got to post every night. And, and that's, that's the biggest thing is for these kids to learn how to uh, eat right, to sleep right, to, uh, to be able to not feel good on a given night, but still be able to go out and give their best and, and, and take their four ABs or, or take the ball and go hopefully seven innings for a starter. And then you turn it over to the bullpen or, you know, guys in the bullpen that hadn't been back to back days before, you know, now all of a sudden as the season progress, progresses, it'll be guys that they'll go back to back days for the first time. And it's just, it's all a big learning experience. How, how do you get them ready for that? I mean, 140 games versus maybe the 20 or 30 that they played in high school. I think, I think from a manager standpoint or a staff standpoint is uh, understanding that each individual is different. Um, they all come from different walks of life. They all have different personalities. And to be able to uh, to, to learn that in each and every one um, and, and know what, bu what buttons to push on certain days and know, and know uh, when not to put, push that button. Um, may, maybe, maybe there's things going on, you know, away from the ballpark we don't know about and you read a kid's body language and you know 
Um, it's a day you got to give him a pat on the back, or, or versus versus a day where you really got to push to get to get the best out of him. Well, you mentioned diet. Do, mm -hmm. do you do you have a problem with with the young kids coming in here and having to learn to treat their bodies differently than the way that they did before? No, I, I think it's just part of the process. I mean, it's uh, instead of eating McDonald's every day, you're getting a nutritionist now um, in the organization that that uh, that map out a plan for, for these guys and. And, and the Phillies are unbelievable with uh, with how they take care take care of our players, um, and it's just uh, for them to ha having it provided to them. Um, so, so so they are eating good stuff to uh, to energize them on a daily basis. As somebody that's gone through the minor league process, um, do you instill? Does it help you with with teaching these kids? I think without a doubt. Um, you know, I've been on these buses. Uh, it was way back. In the early 90s, um, but but I've been through these bus rides. Um, was an everyday player um, up until I did make the big league roster with the Marlins, or when I got called up in '98 with the Braves. I mean, my role changed, and and, and that's kind of tough. Um, you know, you go from being an everyday player to a uh, utility guy or a so-called bench player, where. You know, back then you played one game here, one game there, and it wasn't the every day, so you were getting a fresh four. So uh, it's just, it, it's all learning um, along the way, trial, tribulations. You have goods, you have bads. It's uh, the good players um, can have a bad night and they're going to come back the next night, and, and, you know, good things can happen, and they understand that. So, so when you made it to the major leagues, what was it like when you hit your first home run? Um, probably now I can reflect back and it's probably the most unbelievable feeling ever. Um, I can remember uh, that day and not really feeling anything, not knowing what had just happened. But, um, you know, obviously it was it was a great time, great moment in my uh, in, in my life, in my career. How'd they treat you when you came into the dugout? Uh, it was it was a good one. Um, I, I can still remember uh, Andres Galarraga. He was the uh, first guy to uh, meet me at the dugout. Got a big bear hug from him, and it's just you know, first day in the big leagues, and then to to be able to hit a home run like that. I mean, that's that's uh, priceless. So, who's impressed you most so far this season? I got a lot of guys that have impressed me. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of good players, a lot of good talent in this locker room. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've we've uh, we've had our ups and downs, and we're going to have some more, but we're learning from it. Um, we're playing pr pretty good baseball right now. Um, you know, extra innings last night, and uh, coming off a road trip where we won six out of eight. So, um, you know, not just to, just to single out one guy on this team. There's 25 of them, and and uh, they're all doing a nice job. So one one other thing, one of the things that I've always been amazed at wa watching managers in the minor league is you have you have a different goal than a, than a major league manager a major league manager's goal is to win games your goal especially at this level is not just to win games but to develop talent so how do you balance that I think I think the the, the balance is that um, you don't just talk about developing you don't just talk about winning you talk about developing winning players and um, the preparation is a big part of that if we prepare the way we're supposed to and go out and play um, each night, each day, whatever it may be, and, and, and we do what we're supposed to do. We play hard. You're going you're gonna to win some. You're going to lose some. Um, so it's just the preparation and getting ready for each and every day. And then, you know, good things are going to happen. Um, a 70-game first half, I look at it as you have 25 in the beginning, you have 25 in the end, and uh, it's what you do with the, uh, the 20 in the middle. Um, that in the end is what's uh, going to get you over the top or not. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Marty, and good luck. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you.
All right, Jeff. First of all, I love being in the locker room with the door opening and closing in the middle of an interview. <laughs> people are like, what's that? It's the door opening and closing for people to come in and at, out. At one point, one of the coaches was locked out. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I, I don't think they were too happy with us doing the interview right there. It's fascinating to get a coach's perspective as opposed to a player's perspective. And you can tell how seasoned he is at interviews by how he ducked your question on who's who's got his attention <laughs> so far. And he was like, everybody. It, it, well, it was, it was it was just like a parent when you ask the parent who their favorite kid is he gave the same type of answer it was you know everybody's doing well everybody's got their ups and downs and you know he's the kind of guy i don't know about you i was really impressed by by the kind of coach he is well you were excited for this interview i mean you knew his personal story you knew that he was the subject of of what what was covered like you were looking forward to this one yeah i mean well i think that's i mean part of why we're doing this show is is to show people what it's like before people get to the major leagues to get to know the players and the coaches because as much as you follow the players obviously some of us actually follow the coaches i mean i, I can tell you i remember dusty wathen at single a with lakewood and making his way up you were excited when he made it to the Phillies. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I actually was hoping that he was going to be the manager. Um, he's the third base coach, and there have been lots of stories about how his progression with this group of players has actually led to the ag- successfully aggressive way that they're running the bases. Is that the players have said because they have played for him for so long, they trust his instincts. So when he, when somebody rounds third. And he says go, they go. They go. There, there's no hesitation whatsoever, and it's led to successfully taking risks. I enjoy talking to the coach at Lakewood because, as you and I have talked about, it seems like the biggest jump these players make. In their lives. In their lives. Yeah. They go from 20, 30 games to 140 games. You heard him say 14 hours on a bus. I mean, you want to talk learning to be a professional. Sit 14 hours on a bus to go play a game and drive 14 hours back. It, it's, 14 hours on a bus, I just have to learn how to walk again. Yeah. Well, don't take <laughs> tall shots here. No. Not, not well, all what of do you us, mean? That was an old shot in me. Not, not all of us crunch our legs when we sit on the bus. <laughs> be nice, Jeff. But... It, it was it was fascinating for him to talk about the adjustments that these players have to make as they, and they try to, to progress. Make. Yes, and yeah. he has to manage his own expectations. You talked about the dichotomy of differing goals. They want to win, but they want to develop. And those don't always go together. Sometimes you have to lose on the way to winning so that you learn how to win. win- winning a South Atlantic League title is not going to get him a promotion. Seeing that he develops the talent that he has there is going to be what gets him a promotion. What surprised you talking to him? I mean, I, I enjoyed the, I enjoyed hearing the stories because I used to have a Doran Bulls hat. I just I did, and mm. so like hearing the story because of, of the movie, because of the movie. But hearing like his role in it and what it was like and how the other player I, that was just cool for me to hear that that personal side of the story for him, for a guy who, you know, and. You know, at the end of the interview, you asked him about his first home run, and the people couldn't see. He lit up when you asked him about that. Yeah, but he, he's but got a tell, military personality. But to uh, tell the yeah. story about Andre, seeing Andres Galarraga in the dugout, not the guy you would expect to give a big hug and, and celebrate. I mean, he remembered everything about that, you could see. Yeah, well, he's, he's the kind of guy that would be a successful manager. You don't see many successful managers that were great ball players. First of all, they have so much money, they probably don't want to go through that grind. <laughs> 
But more importantly, that they don't have the patience. You know, they always said the same thing with Michael Jordan is it, when you're that good, you expect everybody else to be that good. You don't you don't really understand the development of people that don't have the talent that you do. Marty Malloy played in the minor leagues for over a decade. He made it to the major leagues for literally three dozen games for over a two-year period. He hit one home run, and he's still stuck with it. So he knows what it's like to take the talent that you do have and grind through it and, and stick with that goal despite lots of setbacks. And they, the fact that they followed him for a year must say something about what they thought about his personality and his, and his, his strength. And to, he will be able to instill that in players when they're going through slumps. It was, it was very interesting getting to talk to him, and we'll have more interviews next week from Lakewood. And um, like we said, we're going out to Lehigh Valley this weekend. I'm looking forward to that. Allentown, it's one of the great minor league stadiums. It's a relatively new stadium. We're a couple days late, though. We should have been in Allentown. Well, the game was in Charlottesville right. or Charlotte or whatever. But um, Allentown is having a sports renaissance. So for those that aren't following, the AHL Phantoms team is in the playoffs. And the other night, they played the longest game in the history of the AHL, a five-overtime game in which goalie Alex Lyon made how many saves, Jeff? I don't know. You tell me. 94. Because you were watching the game. 90, you didn't like that I was t- texting no, you I, well, about I, it. I, I thought it was fine. It but. goes back to your days of <laughs> I DVR the Summer League, and you're like, really, this guy's watching the minor league Look, five overtime when, game. When the, when the Phantoms were down here in he Philly, would go to the games. They were great, in the, especially in oh, the Spectrum. I loved it at the amazing. Spectrum. The fights and the yeah. Frank by Lois. <laughs> yeah, I loved going to those games. Right. But, 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 and up there, we've been to games up there. It's great. But uh, it's for us, it's kind of, you know, it takes a little. Alex Lyon made 94 saves on yeah, and 95 and shots. And what did you say to me? It's it's actually what? <laughs> no, that was Guess. a snarky response uh-huh. that the Flyers picked the wrong goalie right. to, to ride. Um, <laughs> it actually wasn't the most in, in team history. Brian Boucher had 98 saves in a game. But that just caught my attention. I mean, 94 saves on 95 shots. Is, so are you is, saying he's a slacker? Uh, no, you did. Don't I put I words in my can, mouth. Can you imagine having to stop that many just shots? Just because you had a birthday this week doesn't mean that you can put words in my mouth. <laughs> All right. Last minute here, Jeff. Yeah. What are you looking for this weekend? And Sixers are obviously out now. You're going to concentrate on baseball. It's time. Now, now it's baseball season. It is baseball season. Are you going to There's go to any games besides the Lehigh game? This weekend? Yeah. Oh, you I don't spend know. Spend your weekend at the ballpark? No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm off to Minnesota and then to Houston. Maybe I'll catch a game out there somewhere. But. Oh, you can tell us about the concessions and the differences in the parks. Well, we, I've been to, I went to Houston last year. That's right. It's, it's a great ballpark. And I'm not a dome person but it's a really cool ballpark. Well, we will have more on the Phillies. We'll have more on Philly sports. We'll be back with another edition of High Hopes, our minor league segment with new interviews out of Lehigh Valley. So we look forward to you joining us. Come back next week as we take you into the weekend with all the news in the world of sports on every Friday night. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.